Father Divine made a plan for all the followers at Woodmont to trek out to Saville Long Island, once the headquarters of the Peace Mission Movement. Father hadn't been as active as he was in the 30s and 40s, but contrary to what the history books say, he was still getting his message out in the 1960s. He continued to travel and give talks and bless banquets for all the years that I knew him. The followers were excited to get ready for our trip to Long Island. Leaving the Woodmont compound meant a great deal. All of the limos had to be serviced, shined up and packed with clothing and supplies for more than 30 people. Father always traveled with a full motorcade, made up of his stable of black Cadillacs. I was typically assigned to the last limousine in the fleet and rode with happy love, but often father would stop the whole procession and have his driver, Philip Life, come back to get me. He liked me to ride in the car with him and mother. The back seat would be filled with secretaries and other high-ranking movement officials so they would place me in the front seat next to the driver. After what had happened to me, it seemed father wanted to keep me close. It took us more than three hours to get to his home in Saville. It was a neat, two-story greenhouse, with green and white striped awnings over the windows. It was close to the beach. Father Divine had acquired the home in 1919 when a German man, named Felgenhauer, sold it to him, to tick off his neighbors. Felgenhauer had been the victim of anti-German sentiment, and his neighbors taunted him so much that he changed his name to Fellows. The feud got so out of hand, Fellows decided to move, and as a final dig at his neighbors, he advertised his home for sale to a colored buyer. Father Divine and his followers took up the request. They bought the home and started holding their free weekly banquets there. The dinners were said to have up to 3,000 attendees, so many, that police would receive complaints about the number of cars clogging up the street. Ironically, these complaints helped bolster his claim that he was a deity. In 1931 he was arrested for disturbing the peace. Remarkably, he paid his $1,000 bail in cash, something almost nobody else in the world could do. The trial was scheduled for late fall, allowing Father Divine's popularity to grow as the newspapers ate up news of his arrest, Father's arrest was sensationally reported, and the repercussions made him famous. His trial came to pass on May 24, 1932. His lawyer had suggested his trial be moved outside of Suffolk County, due to potential jury bias. The court agreed and the trial took place in Nassau County, before Justice Lewis J. Smith. The jury found him guilty on June 5, but asked for leniency. Ignoring this request, Justice Smith lectured him, calling him a fraud and a menace to society, before issuing the maximum sentence, one year in prison and a $500 fine. Days later, that justice died of a heart attack. Father Divine was reported to comment on his death, I hated to do it. I did not desire Judge Smith to die. I did desire that my spirit would touch his heart and change his mind that he might repent and believe and be saved from the grave. By the time of my first visit, those rowdy days were in the past, and the neighbors had made peace with the fact that the famous preacher lived there. I was excited to see that we were so close to the Hudson River. I had been reading Huck Finn at the time and had asked Happy Love to find me a bamboo fishing pole just like the one Tom Sawyer and Huck used. Somehow, he managed to find me one with a cork bobber, just like in the book. At the river, we ran down the rocky embankment and I got to try out my pole.
Happy didn't stay with me, but he was always nearby, checking in often. I felt at ease on the water pretending to be Huck Finn. Unfortunately, all I caught was a bunch of slippery eels. While in Saville, father held banquets, though they were much more subdued than the ones in Woodmont. Everything was like Woodmont, only a little less. Father addressed smaller groups, the silverware and dishes weren't as nice, the flowers were small, but the message and the ceremony were the same, blessings. Recordings and then food, he always, peace, I'd say. Peace, Master Tommy, said the tables in unison, my mother didn't want me, my father didn't want me. I must give thanks for Father Divine. Father Divine wanted me and because of that I'm here today. Then the room would erupt in cheers, and thank the Lord. Thank father and mother. That was all that was said. Then an old Father Divine wire recording would play while we ate. In person, Divine spoke so slowly and deliberately. Listening to his sermons, in which he would make up words like magniferous. Or positively, I was left in awe of the man he used to be. After we left Saville, we made a detour through Harlem, New York. This was the place father had gotten his start, and he still had a large following there. It was said that he gave a speech in the 1940s there, with nearly 10,000 attendees. Because of one of these grand events, one of his sermons came to be immortalized in song. In 1944, singer and lyricist Johnny Mercer attended one of Divine's sermons, the subject of which was. You got to accentuate the positive and eliminate the negative. Mercer thought it was a powerful phrase. He took it to Harold Arlen, composer of Over the Rainbow. Together they wrote the song that would be known as the hit A Seatsentuate the Positive, first recorded by Mercer, and also by Bing Crosby with the Andrew sisters, Ella Fitzgerald, Perry Como, Aretha Franklin, Alabama Giroux, Paul McCartney, Barry Manlow, and many others. When we first rode onto the streets of Harlem, they were desolate. But as we slowly rolled our group of shining cars down the street, word got out that Divine was in town. Father would prop up his seat with the window rolled down so that he sat above the others in the car. People came rushing out, trying to get a glimpse of him or touch his hand through the window. They would run out to the streets and chase after the cars, or hang from their windows and shout, Peace, Father. Peace. Peace. It came from all directions. I turned around in my seat to watch him. He rolled down the window, and people tried with all their might to get close to him, to get him to look upon them and have his attention. He smiled and waved all the way down the street, until the crowds that gathered were too great. Then the passengers rolled up the windows, and everybody in the car clapped with excitement. When we came back from Saville I had an understanding of just how big the movement was. Father Divine's followers were dwindling, which was inevitable given his requirement for celibacy. But he was still bringing people hope. They were still dedicating their lives to him and tying their future to his. I was given permission to do some crazy things. I loved books and TV, and I was always getting ideas from my shows or my stories. One day, we were watching Sea Hunt, a show about a freelance scuba diver who would take diving missions in the ocean. He would salvage things like bikes or nuclear weapons and would always best villains. I loved the show and got it in my head that I wanted to be a diver. 
I asked Happy Love to find me a mask and compressor so I could practice. Again, just like the fishing pole, he found it for me. We trekked down to the pool and kicked everybody out so that I could use it. I sat at the bottom of the pool, wearing pants and a shirt, along with the mask. I was there for so long, the followers started to worry that I'd drowned. They kept checking on me, to make sure I was alive. Happy always found a way of showing up with these crazy things that I wanted. Be it the fishing pole, the mask or a piece of vellum for my black and white TV that was said to make it color, though it only reflected three mismatched colors over black and white, during this time I took it upon myself to get to know the followers even more. One of my favorite people was Mr. Constantine Francesc. He was from Switzerland and talked with an accent. He told me about places I'd never seen, like the Matterhorn, while he created a sculpture in the rock garden to mimic it. His specialty was these rock gardens, and he made them beautifully, with great care. He let me watch him and help so that I could learn too. Other followers, who worked in the greenhouses, would teach me about plants and grass. I liked working on the ground so much I mustered up the courage to ask Father, can I help cut the grass? Of course you can cut the grass, he said. Go have fun. The next day, he sent Happy out to buy me my own brand new Redwell horse tractor, I was finding a rhythm. Cutting the grass and meeting with followers, learning new skills like how to garden, how to wire electrical systems, how to make rock gardens. I had learned who could be trusted too, like Father Divine, Mississippi St. Mary Bloom, Happy Love and Mr. Constantine Francesc. While I was getting used to my surroundings, I didn't really feel comfortable until I found a space I could call my own. Far behind the main house, down the embankment and towards the Schuylkill River, was a lake. Near the lake. The entrance to a black granite cave was protected by what looked like stalactites, but was actually ice. The structures were set in such a way that they looked like teeth. When I first went in, I imagined I was walking into the jaws of an animal. Once inside I had a picture in my mind of an old Indian cave with hieroglyphics on the wall. Even though it was dark, it was secluded and secure. I decided to make the cave my own. To combat the dark I would set fires and sit by them. And to make sure that nobody could sneak up on me. I sat with my back to the wall, the fire in front of me keeping me warm, and my eyes always on the cave entrance. When I started the fires, the smoke would billow out, and everybody knew that I was in my cave. It didn't take long for people to learn that if they couldn't find me, I would be there, I spent my days mowing the grass and pole fishing down at the property's lower lake. When I had finished helping and fishing for the day, I would go back to my cave. There I would recharge and revel in a feeling of safety. I always made it back for banquet, and was quickly moved up to an assigned seat right next to Father Divine. My purpose was becoming clearer. That summer we visited divine properties all over Philadelphia, New York and New Jersey. By the time I was brought to Woodmont, Father Divine's assets were focused mainly on the East Coast. When we arrived at the properties, Father Divine would go to his private room and rest for an hour or more. During that time, I would get a chance to explore. One of my favorite places to visit was the Unity Mission Church on 41st Street. It was a mission church but also a home and training school. 
The large building was filled with classrooms, a gymnasium, a bowling alley, a playground and a private dining room. The reason I liked it best was the auditorium. There was a tiny door at the base of the stage, which was where they stored the instruments, xylophones, drums, keyboards, trumpets and cymbals. I would crouch down into the dimly lit space. Tap away at the drums, and blow the horns, while Happy stood guard, father's coming, he would call to me when it was time to come out. I'd crawl out and dust myself off to be presentable. When the auditorium was being used for a sermon, after everybody was seated, father would make his entrance to a packed house. Sometimes more than 700 people would cram into an auditorium to get a glimpse of him. He would come in with his full entourage, including all the secretaries, Mother Divine, the band and me. And many of his events had entertainment, someone was always playing music in his name, or a children's group, like the Rosebuds, would perform. Rosebuds were supposed to live their lives aspiring to be like the Virgin Mary. They were considered to be the most pure, and therefore best, young women in the movement. They had to go through classes like catechism for Catholic children, but with very different teachings, and if they were the purest, they could be a rosebud. Older rosebuds became lilybuds. Men who wanted to be the purest could aspire to be crusaders. The rosebuds would come out on stage wearing long blue skirts, white blouses and red vests embroidered with A.V. The V stood for virtue and victory. The older lily buds wore green jackets over white, and crusaders wore light blue jackets with black lapels. People with one of these pure statuses were considered to be in the higher echelons of the followers and were allowed to travel and entertain with Father Divine. Some could even talk to him if they needed to, the rosebuds would sing songs made up by the movement. They always talked about Father Divine or the rules, to the tune of popular music of the time. The lyrics of one of the songs was the rules of the peace mission in a sing-song. Remember no smoking, no drinking, no profanity, no undue mixing of the sexes. They would even take Bible songs, and where it might say love or God, they would switch it out with Father, after the entertainment. Father would introduce Mother and me, always making a big show of the fact that we were there. Then he would sit, and they would play the wire recordings. Mother Divine had started writing her own thoughts and putting them out in the New Day newspaper, but she never gave sermons at the gatherings and banquets. Only Father Divine was allowed to do that. As the summer was coming to a close, Father said it was time for me to enroll in school. Happy took me in the limo up to Gladwine Elementary. We went to the main office and Happy stood with me, Chauffeur's hat in hand, as a school official called us back to the office. The official asked my address and Happy said, he lives with Father Divine. Nothing more was asked, about my mother or father, about my health records. My registration in school was complete with the knowledge that I lived at Woodmont. While Gladwine is a well-to-do suburb of Philadelphia, Father Divine's wealth was noticeable even there. He and his estate were well known among locals. Not that a lot of people knew what went on behind the walls. Still people revered it. Before school was to start, Happy took me to the King of Prussia Mall again to get me normal clothes. I had the few items I came with from home and a handful of pinstriped suits, but not much else to wear every day. When Happy brought me to another high-end department store, 
the thought of the dressing rooms filled me with dread. I'm not trying anything on, Happy. Why? He asked, I'm not taking my clothes off in front of anybody. I replied. I now had three new rules in my life, don't let anybody stand behind you, never take off your clothes anywhere but in your own room and always have a light on. Never would I be in darkness again, Happy didn't pry. He held clothes up to me, and whatever seemed like a fit we bought. We made quick work of clothes shopping since I wasn't all that interested in clothing. Something else caught my eye that day, a guitar, it was a black, six-string electric. The case doubled as an amplifier. I stared in awe. Can I get it, Happy? No, Master Tommy. No gifts, that's the rule, he said, reminding me of one of the tenets of the peace mission. Please, Happy. Please. I begged, we have to ask Father, he said. We told the clerk we had to make a call and ask for permission to get the guitar. They gladly provided the phone, may I talk to Father Divine? Happy asked when he got through to the main house. I'm with Master Tommy. He wants to get a guitar. I was dying at the suspense. Uh, ha, huh, he mumbled into the phone. Then he turned back to me. You can get it. Yes, I said, and proudly. I walked out of the mall with my own instrument in my hands, happy carrying armfuls of clothes I cared nothing about. As soon as I got home I ran to my room and started strumming away. From that day, I watched the house band carefully and started practicing, learning by observation how to play. I found another mission for myself, learn how to play the guitar.